chapter 8, First uh, Timothy chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. However, before we go or before we start, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you, Lord, for your words. Thank you, Lord, that we're alive, um, not just physically, but also spiritually. And in a day and a time when people think that spiritual death is a future condition or a future uh, event in hell, you said in your words that spiritual death is a current condition of the spirit one if we are uh, before we get saved. And we thank you, Lord, that um, now that we're uh, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and regenerated, just like your words say. We thank you, Father, that we have your words to be our spiritual food, that we can feast on them and glean on them. And that's what we want to do today, Father. We, want, we, we, we ask you, Father, that you would help us go back to the, the point in time when uh, our hearts standeth in awe of thy words. Thank you, Lord, for everything, and uh, bless the singing, the preaching, the fellowship, everything that is said and done, bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. For the last few weeks, we have been talking about the King James Bible. And um, again, just to make it sure we are not trying to be ugly or we're not trying to say that that's the only Bible that people can be saved out of. Uh, we are, I'm not, I think you've heard me a couple times say that I'm not even asking you to throw a different version Bible away if you have it. I'm just saying, or what, we're, what we've been trying to do is we, are, we have been comparing scriptures with scriptures to see if, uh, if it is so. So uh, the, the, the first thing that, comes to mind is that, and I have preached this before in many, many, many churches and different countries, and the first reaction that I have gotten is that, Brother Francis, he's a, he's a church splitter. He's a divider. Why don't you just, why don't you just focus on the things that are important? Well, the Bible says that God has lifted up His, his word has magnified his word far above his name. And so in God's eyes, his words are very important. Amen. And so it should be for us. The reason why I believe we are where we are as a country and as a nation, and not just the nation, but the whole world, the reason why I believe we are where we are today is because, A, the word of God has been taken away from schools. Yes, the Word of God has been taken away from families. Families don't have uh, devotion times anymore. Families have Netflix time already. <laughs> families, I'm not saying you're evil and you're wicked if you do that. I'm just saying let's spend time in the Bible. Amen. And also the Word of God has been taken out of the churches. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so, uh, the Bible says in Luke chapter number 8, Verse number 12, 
Those by the wayside, when, God, when the Lord Jesus Christ was explaining to his disciples uh, the parable of the sower, he came to this point and, says, and said, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word of their, out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The title of what we're going to talk about today is Omission Accomplished. Omission Accomplished. The devil, his plan is not to eradicate every single Bible in this world. That used to be his plan. So there were a lot of Bible burnings in the Dark Ages. Now, that's not his plan anymore. His plan is to saturate Christendom or Christianity with a whole bunch of other different Bibles so people are conflicted or confused. Now see, the, Bible, the, the devil does not need to burn every single Bible so there's no Bible in the world. the world. All the devil has to do is put doubt in the Christian's heart. See that? All the devil has to do is to remove the Bible from your heart, remove your belief, your belief about the Bible from your heart, so much so that whenever there's preaching or whenever there's Bible study or whenever there's, there's a, you know, a Bible in front of you, all of a sudden you approach it in a point of view of that of doubt instead of belief. So that's all that the devil has to do. He taketh away the word out of their hearts. Why? Lest they should believe and be saved. Now by definition, and I know a lot of you like to watch football. By definition, the word fake, when you do a fake in football, you, the, the quarterback gives it to, or, or tosses it to, or passes it to the runner to go, and the runner would there's a different runner that fakes that he has the football and he's going this way when the real runner is going that way, right? It's deception. The devil wants, to think, wants us to think one way when he's actually doing another thing. Look at, uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, the latter times of the dispensation of grace where we are right now. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now see, a lot of Christians this, these, uh, this, these days think that the devil is in the business of haunting people or, or uh, haunted houses or ghosts or stuff like that. The devil is in the business of seducing people to their doctrines. The devil is in the business of doctrines. Why? To confuse people. He wants, you to, make, he wants to make you think that he's going this way and that he has the football when in reality he is going that way. So the question is, do you know how the devil operates? In 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 
When I was in Bible college 100 years ago, I had a roommate whose name was Martin Birega Balaki from Togo, West Africa. And I asked him, because I was confused one time, he said, or, or could, uh, I was curious one time. I was like, hey, uh, Balaki, do you have lions where you guys are? He said, yes. And then I asked him what their technique was. And he says, you know what the, the roar of the lion does to you? When a, when a lion roars, he roars so loud and so fierce that it stops you from your tracks. And so when the, male, when, the, when the male lion, the king of the pride, goes up to a high place and roars, the, the gazelles or the deer or whatever they're hunting, in fear, they get confused and they stop. And that's when the lionesses, the hunters, go out for them. And so... The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes when that devil speaks, or when that, that lion, the devil who is like a lion, roars, all of a sudden we stop in our tracks, we're confused. Wait a second, is this the word of God? Is what God's saying true? Is, is, are the promises of God real? And all of a sudden we're confused. And there we are, pam, in the fangs of the lionesses. So the Bible does order us in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 11, um, well, it, it describes that what, how we're supposed to be. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Sad to say, that is the condition of many churches today. Ignorant of the devices of Satan. That is the biggest denomination in Christendom today. Ignorant brethren. <laughs> So much so that when you speak truth, you are the one that's weird. So much so when you give them out of love, out of care, what the truth is, you are the one that's, that's breaking churches or separating churches. We are not ignorant of his devices. We did. I, I think we can do this one time, uh, sometime. Um, we did... We did a little study on demonology one time, right? And then I made, I made a question, I, or I gave a question. Was, uh, was Lucifer a fallen angel? Remember that? And then, and then we learned that he was not a fallen angel. He was a fallen cherub. He transforms himself into an angel of light. Because the devil wants us to, to think that he's a nice guy, that he's after our best interest, when in reality, he, we think that he's, he's giving us good doctrines, when in reality, it's doctrines to make us confused and stop on our tracks. Let's not be ignorant of that, brethren. Amen? All right. So let's talk about the adversary and how he omits things and how he confuses us. Let's go all the way back in the garden and compare what God said in Genesis chapter number 2 verse 16. Right? Genesis chapter number 2 verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest what? Freely eat. Amen. 
So the word freely is important. Amen. That's just like salvation. Freely we have received. Freely we have believed that the Lord Jesus Christ died, rose, was buried, and the third day he rose again. We don't have to do anything for our salvation. Freely it was given to us. Amen. That's why it's important to be there. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt, what's that second verse there? Surely. <laughs> Maybe God wasn't sure. No, he said surely. Thou shalt surely die. There should not be any questions there. Amen. And then the adversary comes along later in the next chapter in Genesis chapter number three, which is the next one over here. Now, the serpent was more subtle, Mr. Suave, amen? He knows how to speak. He doesn't stammer. He has the nice, the nice shoes. Mr. Devil, who was subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Really did God say that? Guess what he was doing? He was casting doubt on the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that's what the devil will do to us. He will cast doubt on the word of God. Really? Did God really say that? That preacher that's preaching in front of you? Really? Is that really what the Bible says? Well, never mind what the preacher says. But if, it's not in, if the preacher, myself, does not, is saying something that's not in the Bible, then that's a different story. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat. So I've color-coded what happened here. See, in Genesis chapter number 2, it says, we may free, you may, mayest freely eat. Right? And then in Genesis chapter number 3, Eve said, we may eat. What's missing? The word freely is gone. Right? So... Number one, the style, the modus, modus operandi, if you will, of the adversary is number one, to cast doubt on God's word, which is the red, the red one over there. Number two, the blue one, is to subtract from God's word. God originally said, you may freely eat. But then in Genesis chapter number three, wait a second, the word freely is gone. It was subtracted. Why is the word freely important? Well, is it important with our salvation? Amen. When we were saved, God did all the work. God, did, God paid all the price so we may freely believe. Amen. So number one, cast out. Number two, subtract from God's word. And then let's continue reading. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat. Of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Wait a second. Did God say, Neither shall ye touch it? In, in what God said originally in Genesis chapter number two, he just said, Thou shalt not eat of it. But in Genesis chapter number three, there's a little phrase that was added. Neither shall you touch it. Wait a second. Time out. I'm sure the intention was good. 
Yeah, you probably won't eat of it if you're not touching it. The intention, the motive behind the addition of, of, from, to the word of God was, was probably good. But see, if you add to God's word, then that's foul. That's a technical foul. That's a double technical foul. <laughs> Remember those two gentlemen who were trying to help the Ark of the Covenant when, it was, when, when it's, it was on the cart and it was about to fall? Their intention was good. They just want to push it back so it does not fall. And God struck them dead because His command was not to touch the Ark of the Covenant. So number one is to cast doubt. The red one over there. Number two, subtract from the Word of God with the blue one over there. Number three, the green one, is to add to the Word of God. Number four, in the original, uh, in Genesis chapter number two, it says, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But then in Genesis chapter number three, it just says, Lest ye die. So, Number, f- number four is the watering down of God's Word. The watering down of God's Word. And then last but not the least over there, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Wait a second. God said, Ye shall surely die. All of a sudden, the devil says, Ye shall not surely die. Number four over here, or number five over here, is completely flat out denying or lying about God's Word. Modus operandi of the adversary. The subtle devices of the adversary. Number one, casting doubt. This is, this is the entire outline of our, of, our, of our message today. Casting doubt on God's words. Number two, subtracting from God's, God's word. Number three, adding to God's word. Number four, watering down God's words. And number five, denying God's words or lying about God's words. You know what that picture is of? That's a picture of the Pied Piper. The Pied Piper just piped and piped and piped and all the unsuspecting rats and children just followed them without any question. Right? So number one, let's talk about number one briefly. Casting doubt on God's word. Casting Casting doubt on God's word. In Matthew chapter number, why is it important that the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin birth? It's important because God had to show the miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ being born and that He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not of man. Not of sinful man. And so, in Matthew chapter number 1, verse 25, the Bible says in your King James Bible, And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. That word firstborn is so important. And he called his name Jesus. In RSV and other translations, the Bible, they say, but knew her not until she had born what? A son. Why is that important? Because all of a sudden, what is put in question is the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. See that? Again, I am not after you. I am not against you if you're using that Bible over there, the RSV. I am just seeing, I'm just saying, listen, I found a place where you can drink pure water, and I want you to please drink it with me. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come on over. Right? So, 
they, they have cast that. Really? All of a sudden, when I've actually met somebody, some people who use the RSV and say, really? The, the Lord Jesus Christ was, was virgin birth? They question God's virgin birth, or the Lord Jesus Christ's virgin birth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 18. Hey, wait a second. How many of you are saved? Amen. Praise God. No, let me ask you a question. How many of you are working your way to being saved? No, when, when, that's not the case, right? When God saved us, ora mismo, ora mismo, right there and then. Once you put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, right there in that split second, in the twinkling of an eye, you were saved. You're not working your way to be saved. You're already saved. Amen. <laughs> Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 in the King James Bible. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. E.D. It is the power of God. Now the NIV and other Bibles, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are what? Being saved, it is the power of God. Again, I am not against anyone who used that Bible. But I'm just saying, oh, everyone that thirsted, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their, their sinful pains. Look at... Uh, Number one, well, we're, number one, we talk about how the, how the devil casts doubts on God's words. All of a sudden, we're thinking, really? Can we really be saved? Or do I need to work my way to being saved? Number one, casting doubt on God's words. Number two is subtracting from God's words. That's a picture of uh, King Jehoiakim taking his penknife and cutting from the words of God and throwing it into the fire. I don't know about you guys. I really love woodcut pictures. That's a woodcut picture over there. <laughs> Subtracting from God's words. Look at chapter number four, verse number four of, of verse number Luke uh, of, of the book of Luke. In the King James Bible, it says, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word of God. In the NIV, it says, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, period. What was subtracted? Every word of God. Amen. I guess it was not that important. The Bible says in Colossians chapter number 1, verse 14, there's a reason why we sang, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Redeem how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission. Amen. Colossians chapter number 1, verse 14, In whom we have redemption through His blood. Even the forgiveness of sins, praise God. In the NIV, in another translation, it says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What's missing? Why must the blood be taken away? Why is that too dangerous? Or, well, if, it's not, if it does not make any, any difference, if it's all the same thing, why would you take that away? Hmm. 
Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse number 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Do you think that's an important verse? Sure it is, right? It's not in NIV. Some of, some of the newer, uh, well, a lot of Christians complain to the NIV translators or the publishers that, hey, why is that not there? That they put it back there and put an, a footnote that says this verse is generally not in the original text. Subtracting from God's word. Here's a good one. Acts chapter number 8, verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In the NIV, it says zero. They actually, if you look at it, actually, it jumps from, from verse 36 to 38. Again, if that's, that's the older NIVs. Again, a lot of people complain that they brought it back except they put a footnote on it that says it's not generally in the older manuscripts or the more, or more accepted manuscripts. Why is this important? That's what a lot of Baptists use, right? As a proof verse that baptism is after you're saved. You have to believe first and then you get baptized. Hello? You don't get baptized to be saved. You believe first and then you get baptized. Are you with me so far? And so, listen, I'm not trying to divide the congregation or Christendom. Hey, I'm just saying, listen, the devil is openly, not openly, but just, just laughing at us and making a toy out of God's words and we're here defending it. He's taking away from God's words crucial doctrines. And, Chris, and, and Christians are unsuspecting at all. Number one, cast doubt from God's words. Number two, subtract from God's words. Look at uh, 1 John 5 verse 7. This is, we've talked about this before. This is the verse in the Bible that proves the Trinity of God. The, tri the, the Holy Trinity. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. In other translation, it says, for there are three that testify. And then that's it. Why? Is there anything so dangerous about the doctrine of the Trinity? No. There's a design on why that was taken out. Number one, casting doubt on God's words. Number two, subtracting from God's words. And number three, adding to God's words. What's that a picture of? Not your lunch, hopefully, amen? <laughs> a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Well, that's just a little mold, Brother Francis. Well, are you still going to eat it then? No. Well, I'm just going to take off the moldy part and then eat the ones that are good. Why? When you can get a fully good, a, 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 a perfectly good loaf of bread, amen. That's fresh. Adding to the Word of God. You know what, the, you know what another, another name for the, for, the, for the devil is? Look at this. Um, 
The devil was a serpent in the beginning, right? In Genesis chapter number 49, verse 17, it says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way. Uh, what? An adder. You know what another name for a snake is? An adder. Huh. Sounds like someone that keeps on adding things, right? That bite at the horse, horse's heels so that his riders shall fall backward. Well, let me switch gears over here and say, well, Brother Francis, what about those italicized words in the King James Bible? Aren't they additions? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Sister Maria. <laughs> yes, there are italicized words over here in the King James Bible. But what are those italicized words? If you can see, if you don't know, if you haven't heard of what an italicized word is, it's words that are printed in slant, a little bit slanted compared to these guys over here, right? The italicized words in the King James Bible are things, are, is actually a testament to the honesty of the translators. I'll give you an example. This Greek word over here, anyone... Want to give it a shot? <laughs> you already know what it means. It means good morning, right? Calimera. Calimera. Right? The, the, the Greek term equivalent to good morning. But the translators, if you were translating this, all of a sudden, you, the equivalent of it is two words. Right? So the King James Bible's translators would say, well, let's italicize that so people know that we added a word. Or that, that not, not added the word, but it seems like they added the word, but it's actually the equivalent of the host language is two words. Right? Well, that's adding, Brother Francis. Let's... let's that's wicked thing to do. Well, what do you want to do? Take away good? So just say morning? Or take away morning and just say good? No. The equivalent translation of that word is good morning. And in Tagalog, in my own mother language, it's actually three words. Maganda or beautiful. Good. Sorry. Beautiful is the morning. So in essence, the italicized words prove the honesty of the AV 1611 translators when they show that a formal or direct translation of one word is equivalent to more than one. On the other hand, you have translators of these modern languages or modern versions that have the audacity to take liberties of adding, subtracting, or changing from the text and pretending that they are from the oldest and more reliable manuscripts. I would rather have the italicized, out, italicized things out there to know that, hey, listen, we're trying to tell you this is just the equivalent. The equivalent translation is two words compared to one. You with me so far? <laughs> All right. And we'll talk about this later on. And if you want to do like, uh, if you want to ask me that later on as well, I'd be happy to tell you. There's more to that, actually. Well, what about the Apocrypha? What about, uh, what about the Apocrypha in the old AV 1611? 
Let me ask you this. How many of you have a Bible with a map in the back of it? All of us, right? Most, if you look at most, I'm not saying all of them. And if you have one that's not like this, then praise God. Did you know that most of those Bible maps have the nation of Israel going around the Red Sea before going back up? Why? Because the map makers did not believe on the text that they went through the Red Sea and the Lord Jesus and the Lord and the Lord God opened it up. The reason why the Apocrypha is in the original AV 1611 there is because of Bancroft, Richard Bancroft. And Brother uh, Richard, or sorry, Brother uh, uh, Mike, you sent me that email uh, last night. Richard Bancroft was actually the project manager of the translation, actually. And he had rules. He said, when we're translating the King James Bible, rule number one, the ordinary Bible read in, in the church, commonly called the Bishop Bible, to be followed, and as little altered as the truth of the original will permit. So they said, the, neck, the, the, the origin, or we're going to translate from the Bishop's Bible. And guess what's in the Bishop's Bible? The Apocrypha. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say the Apocrypha? The Apocrypha are the, are the additional books of the, of the Bible that the Roman Catholic have in their Bible. Like Tobit, Judith, Peter and the dragon, that's, that's not on there. <laughs> uh, Tobit, Judith, there's different, there's additional books that they have sprinkled around in their Bible. But they're not canon. That means they're not part of the scriptures. So even if it's there, because they were commanded to say, hey, just use it, for, just use the bishop's Bible. They have seven reasons why they said they separated it. In the Catholic Bible, they're sprinkled all around. But in the King James Bible, they were all in the middle. They were put in, separated and put in the middle because of these seven reasons. The, the translator did not believe that they were part of the Scripture. Number one, not one of them is in the Hebrew language, which was, which was alone used by the inspired historians and poets of the Old Testament. Number two, not one of the writers lay any claim of inspiration. You know why the Roman Catholics believe in praying for their dead? Because it's in here, in the Apocrypha. They're commanded to pray for their dead. These books, number three, were never acknowledged as sacred scriptures by the Jewish church or the little flock, and therefore were never sanctioned by our Lord. Number four, they were not allowed a place among the sacred books during the first four centuries of the Christian church. Number five, they contain fabulous statements and statements which contradict not only the canonical scriptures, but themselves, as when in the two books of Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes is made to die three different deaths in many different places. Number six, you better be taking notes. There's a test after this. I'm just kidding. It inculcates doctrines at variance with the Bible, such as prayers for the dead and sinless perfection. Number seven, it teaches immortal, or sorry, immoral practices such as lying, suicide, assassination, and magical incantation. The King James Bible translator said, well, we were commanded to use to translate using the Bishop's Bible, but let's separate these because they are not part of the Scriptures. 
right? You with me so far? Number one, the adversary, the devil, wants to cast doubt into the scripture. Number two, they want, he wants to subtract from the scripture. Number three, he wants to add to the scripture. Number four, he wants to water down God's words. What's that the picture of? Placebo. You know what, what that means? It's a, it's a medicine that's not a medicine. <laughs> it's something to make you feel like you are being treated or something like that. But in fact, you're not. Right? It's watered down. Right? In Psalm chapter number 9, verse 17, the King James Bible says, The wicked shall be turned into where? Hell! And the nations that forget God. In the other translation, it says, The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. All the nations that forget God. Now tell me this. You, you, you all been, been soul winning and sharing God's word. When I've shared God's word to, to some teenagers, you've had this experience, right? And, some, and I'd say, hey, listen, our sin will take us to hell. If we don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to die and go to hell. And guess what they said? They said, well, that's okay. My friends and I are going to be there. We'll all have a big party. Have you heard that before? We've heard that before. Why? Because hell has been watered down. Well, I'm sure, Brother Francis, that they're just using a different Greek word or translating the Greek word into something that's not hell. Well, let's hear what they have to say. Are you still with me? Um, R. Laird Harris, an NIV editor, says, quote, The NIV translators came to a decision regarding the meaning of the word hell. The meaning grave fits. The translation grave is the most appropriate one. The terms hell and grave are synonymous. Well, isn't that the truth with the Greek words, Brother Francis? Well, let's hear what you have to say. No more than darkness, dissolution, and dust of the tomb. To lie in the dust, decay or perish in the grave. He said, there's no hell. When people die, they all go to the, hell, to, to the grave and just decay. That's it. So what happened to hell? It was watered down. Last but not the least, denying or lying about God's words. And that's a picture of somebody who's, who has their hand in their Bible in the courts and swearing in. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth shall help you, God? The devil says, I do. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 17. We're almost done. This is the last point. Amen. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But in other translation, it says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. What's the difference between, between corrupting and peddling? There's a whole difference. Meaning, if you sell God's words, that means, is it wrong to do that? The Bible says, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Look at... Uh, Look at Romans, or sorry, Revelation 22, verse 16. Uh, Brother Billy and you guys are talking about this in, in the book of Revelations. Who 
is the morning star. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, last, this is the second to the last verse, then I'm done. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Who's the morning star? I have found a friend in Jesus who's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He is the morning star. Why would the morning star be kicked out of heaven? Isaiah 14 verse 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the, gr to the ground which didst weaken the nation? What about other translation? How art thou fallen from heaven? What? Morning star, son of the dawn. All of a sudden, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that was kicked out from heaven? Why? And so you see, ladies and gentlemen, it's not because I hate you that I am doing this. It's not because I love conflict that I am doing this. It's not, I wish that we can just all live in peace and harmony, peace, love, and greasy hair. Amen? But the devil has done things. And I want to show you. Well, not me. Forget, Brother Francis. The Bible wants to show you that he has tampered with some things that, has, that should not be tampered with. And there is a source of clean, of perfect, of complete doctrine. As I close, this is from Newsweek in 1974. It so happened that I was born in the Philippines. Lieutenant Hiro... Onada was the last Japanese soldier to surrender after World War II. He was left on the island of Lubang in the Philippines in 1944 because the Philippines was under Japanese occupation, along with three other soldiers. They were left to carry on the mission even if Japan surrenders. Eventually, the others were killed or surrendered, but Onada continued his war alone. Through the years, he ignored messages from loudspeakers announcing Japan's surrenders. Leaflets were dropped in, begging him to surrender so he could return to Japan. During his 29-year private, private war, he killed at least 30 Philippine nationalists. Finally, on March 10, 1974, that's a long time, Onada surrendered after receiving a personal command from his former superior officer. His lonely war was finally over. When he returned to Japan as an aged man of 52, he made this comment, quote, Nothing pleasant during those 29 years in the jungle, unquote. People can spend long years fighting lonely battles when they are determined to go it alone. That's in quotation marks. People spend years battling secret sins and weaknesses and addictions when they could end the battle if they would let the Lord help them. If he would have only checked the orders coming from his superior of officer. And there are so many Christians whose lives are being hurt by 
imported doctrines such as those. And what you want to do is check your orders. Check your orders from the real source. Because maybe the ones that you're holding is hurting you and making you miserable. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, dear Lord, for your words. All we want to do is just to make sure it's all there. All we want to do, Father, is to make sure that we're obeying all your words. Just like what we talked about last week, I can't even de delete. It, it's hard for me to delete um, voicemails from my wife or emails from my wife because I love her. And you said in the book of John, if any man love me, he will keep my words, all of it, the integrity of it, the purity of it. Thank you, Lord, for your words. And I pray, Father, I know it's something that's hard to accept, but I pray that you would help us all. Just, just like it's hard to separate from our own works, and to, it's hard to give up the fact that we, don't, we cannot do anything to be saved and just turn over to you and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this is also a hard message, but we thank you for your grace, for you are the one that leads us. As we continue, Father, we, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.